episode number 162 of Celtic Speed is brought to you by Blue Apron. You know by now, healthy food leads to a healthy you, and Blue Apron knows that when you cook with incredible ingredients, you make incredible meals. So they set the highest quality standards for their community of artisanal suppliers, family-run farms, fisheries, and ranchers. Whether it's Japanese ramen noodles, wild-caught Alaskan salmon, or heirloom tomatoes, Blue Apron is bringing you delicious and fun to cook meals for you and with your family and friends and at a very affordable price. For less than $10 per meal, Blue Apron delivers seasonal recipes along with pre-portioned ingredients to make those delicious home-cooked meals. I highly suggest giving Blue Apron a shot. You will not regret it. Check out this week's menu and get your two meals free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash Celticspeed. It's an incredible deal as is with meals under $10 and your first two meals are free with free shipping. And best of all, you'd help continue to fund this Celticspeed operation. So eat up, head on over to blueapron.com slash Celticspeed. That's blueapron.com slash Celticspeed. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. Today is Sunday, June 19th, 2016. This is Celticspeed on CLNS Radio, and I'm Larry H. Russell on Father's Day on the morning of Game 7 of the NBA Finals. And not one breathing second will be spent on it. It's going to be all Boston Celtics all the time, per usual. The NBA draft is now T-minus four days away. We have a ton to get to. It's not just the draft, which we'll preview with Nicole Auerbach, National College Basketball Reporter for USA Today. But with Thursday's draft comes the unofficial start of the NBA's trade season. So with that, we got to take a look at the market before it gets rocking and rolling. We'll do some window shopping with Chris Forsberg of ESPN. So we are double dipping on episode number 162 of Celtics Beat, which this week is being presented by Blue Apron and American Fibers Network. Dot com. As stated, want to take care of some house business real quick. AFN's Facebook page putting up a special giveaway. Check it out now at Facebook.com slash AmericanFN. That's Facebook.com slash AmericanFN. Like that page and follow instructions to get in on a stake giveaway. And, of course, speaking of giveaways, you know by now, enter a contest to win $800 worth of Blue Apron meals. Subscribe, rate, and review Celtics Beat on iTunes to enter a contest to win four consecutive weeks of Blue Apron deliveries. Takes literally 20 seconds of your time, people. And it's also a big help to us. So subscribe, rate, and review Celtics Beat on iTunes. Subscribe, rate, and write that review so we can see your name to get you one of the drawing. That is such a big beneficiary to us. Want to know what you think. As always, that and of course, you want to just order from Blue Apron directly. We love if you go to blueapron.com slash Celtics Beat. First two meals are free with that code. But let it be known, your words never be shy. It's how we improve this show. See what you like, what you don't like. Heard a lot of feedback from you this past week on my at CLNS underscore LHR Twitter. Let it fly to me about everything. Always feel free to pitch ideas about the show. Guests to me, although we are jammed in the coming weeks. But there's always requests for this guy coming up despite how frequently he's on. So can't do any more fiddling and diddling this week with how much we got to get to on this episode. It's time for our Boston Celtics Summer of 2016 Trade Primer with ESPN's Chris Forsberg on the Celtics beat for the worldwide leader since the 2009 campaign. Chris, welcome in, my man. How's the summer going? It's going good, Larry. What's going down? How are you? I am doing phenomenally well, considering I'm still here every single week like nothing's going on. You've fallen <laughs> off the grid a little bit. I mean, I know you're in Twitter, uh, in the Twitter world. Uh, that's good enough. But you know I don't have much time. I have the challenge of squeezing in a trade and draft preview all in a one show. <laughs> so we're going to jump right into this with you. We're going to waste no more time. And we're going to get into this by 
talking about what I talked about last week with Jared and one of the things, and it's something I've been thinking over, and that's going to be next year. I think there's going to be an interesting dilemma for many teams, but let's just stay with the Celtics because that's all we care about. With players on the team, you sign free agents under this new salary cap, and next year it's likely going to go north of $100 million. That's the following years. So these guys are going to get paid. We all know that, and it's why in this space – Last year, I mean, if you wanted to get in on free agency, last year was the year in my eyes to get a crack out of Greg Monroe for $17 bucks. But you explore the market. Does Ainge have to sort of take into account paying a player more than, say, some of his team leaders like Bradley, Isaiah Thomas, and Jay Crowder, who might be making like almost half of what some of these lesser guys will be making next year who will be backing them up? Yeah, and I think you're going to run into that issue where, you know, you do have to kind of, I don't not so much protect guys. You're not going to worry about it if you're Danny Ainge. If you can get a, a talented guy and, you know, he's making twice what Jay Crowder makes, well, you know, that's just the, that's just the way the cookie crumbles, right? Like, and, and you, that's what you got to tell Jay. You got to be very honest and be like, listen, you know, you kind of, you knew this was coming. Like, you know, your agent has to be more mindful of that. This is the money you were, were happy to play at. Everyone thought Avery Bradley was overpaid when he signed that contract and now he'll be criminally underpaid in a couple of years. So, you know, that it's just the way the league goes. And what you tell those guys is, hey, you're going to get your opportunity. Keep playing at the level you're playing at, and you're going to be making just as much money the next turnaround. Uh, and, and guys are going to fire their agents left and right for putting them in that position. But uh, that's just the way it goes. Now, it, I, I do think you'll run into a scenario where you'll say, okay, is this guy worth you know, ruffling some feathers. But again, I think at the end of the day, talent wins out. And, and if you're, you're certainly not going to worry about paying the Kevin Durant's of the world, they're 25 million a year, but you know, there, you will show some maybe hesitation if it's a more of a, a, a mid-level guy. Alan and crab probably getting like 14 million bucks. Let's I mean, and that's, I, I mean, that, and that's what makes my head spin. And, and I guess it, it speaks to the larger thing here. Like, as the Celtics pursue the trade market, you know, there's not going to be so much sticker shock with these guys that are already under contract. Like part of the reason you want to go after a Jimmy Butler is because he's making what, 16, 18 million dollars over the next couple of years. Like that's, that's going to be a bargain. That's going to be mid-level in, in, in by the, uh, a couple more years. So, you know, it, it, it certainly speaks to why I, I think even like Okafor, when we, when we talk about guys like the Celtics have been rumored with, like if you can get a guy on a rookie deal, like before this new jump, like it's pennies and and it's part of the reason the Celtics are set up so well because they have so many guys on rookie deals and you know you still gotta hope they develop and and make that that money seem even better but uh the the contracts that are that are going to be signed are gonna you know I I fear that on July 1 we're all gonna be sitting here going what are you kidding me you know and and then we'll see how it all kind of settles down from there before we get into any names like Jimmy Butler, especially after that ESPN report that came out this past Tuesday morning, I want to ask one more question when we get into talking about the trade market. Having that all in mind, what kind of effect do you think that's going to actually have on the coming trade market? Is it going to be more efficient to trade for players, not just the Jimmy Butlers, but maybe some guys with hefty salaries, uh, let's say like a Carmelo Anthony, Marcus Gasol that are on the downswing but still have a lot of good years left in them? Or could this then create a seller's market for teams because other GMs are really going to want to explore the trade market that much more for those very reasons? I mean, you get some guys who have contracts under the old cap and to a lesser extent, you know, need to make a move or two to compensate for either whiffing in free agency or still being a little skittish at paying some of these guys, these mid-level NBA players, what we still perceive to be massive amounts of money. What kind of effect do you think that's going to have on the trade market? Well, it's going to be interesting because I think it's going to be a balance because I think if you're a GM that has one of those guys and you, you, part of your 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 
pitches like, look, this guy's making manageable money, so we want more because it's gonna, he, you know, his contract is valuable now. And, and meanwhile, if you're the other team, you're thinking, well, we, you know, we don't want to pay more just because he's on an old deal. It's it, it, because these are guys like you said that are on the downstream. I mean, look at you know Gasol, and I mean he'll be making 25 million at age 35 in 2020. And so, like, you know, hey, there, there's a lot of value right now, but, you know, by the time it gets to 35 and, listen, the cap might be through the roof at that point. Maybe it won't even seem like a big deal, but I think we know that it's going to go up and then it's going to kind of come back down a little bit. Um, so, I don't know, you don't want to lock yourself into a quarter of the cap for Marcus All. And, you know, Carmelo's 32 already. He's going to be making $27 million by 19. Like, these numbers scare me a little bit. I, You know, and, and again, like, you don't you, – these are the prices you're going to have to pay to get the sort of elite talent the, the Celtics so desperately crave, especially if guys like Butler are just unobtainable or, you know, teams ask too much for, for those sort of caliber player um i'm just a little leery at that point you know part of me starts going back and saying well maybe this draft and development route isn't so bad like if you can keep getting if you use all i'm not saying they're gonna use all eight of their picks but if you can get all these guys in at like really cheap money and still keep yourself open and just wait for that one free agent splash when you feel like it's the most valuable uh you know maybe that's not the, the 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 worst route to go I'm still a little concerned about that route. I don't think you can completely stick with the weighted out route. I still think that there's tremendous value in keeping the Celtics competitive, particularly if they do lose Evan Turner and Jared Sullinger in free agency, which I would say the odds are would definitely lean that way. And you do lose those those two players. You're definitely looking at taking a step back next year. I'm sorry. You can't really, even if you draft the guy, and I know this, we're not doing the draft preview show, but let's say you draft the buddy <laughs> healed and he comes in, even if he's a help now guy, he's still not going to uh, replicate the production that Turner, and there's really no one to replicate the production that Sullinger gave you. But let's, let's sort of now get into the trade preview and talk about all these fantasies now, because this is the one show <laughs> we're actually going to do. We can work our way up. We're talking about Carmelo Anthony and Marcus Sol. That, those are sort of the tear two, Trade guys. I mean, tier three. That's a little too much. I think. I'm. You know, we might touch upon that at the very, very end. But let's say these are the second tier trade guys, and those are mm-hmm. players who are still kind of in the primary of their careers. Maybe they're sort of like you know what? They're sort of where Ray Allen was in 2007. Where we're very good at the golf analogies. They were on like the 11th <laughs> or 12th hole of their career right now. Like, I like it. Thing. So, but they're making mega, mega money. But at the same time. You wouldn't trade the lottery pick for any of those guys, right? Carmelo or uh, Marcus All. So I'm probably more likely to trade one of the lottery picks than for the tier most. one. Okay, all right, never mind. Go ahead. Well, definitely for a tier one guy, but even for maybe a tier two guy, because like, listen, like, look, let's think about it this year. You know, everyone was like, "Oh, well, you can't trade this pick because what if it's Simmons or Ingram? Like, we can't, you can't and possibly move the." And it isn't. And now, like, who's your number three? Like, I know again, I know this isn't a, a draft show, but you know, I think we're sitting here and we're, we're all saying, "Who's the number three? There's no clear cut choice, and I don't think that's going to necessarily change before uh, the draft arrives. So now you're sitting in a situation where everyone's saying, "Well, you can't change, you can't trade that 2017 pick. The 2017 draft's going to be loaded, and the number eight pick is going to be worth just as much as the number three pick." I don't know if I subscribe to that because, like, we hype these things up so much that it's like you can't possibly trade it. Well, if everyone feels that the 2017 draft is so loaded and that one piece can help you get an all-star, even if it's a tier two guy who kind of starts pushing you 
a little bit closer to that contender level, I think you do it. And so I guess I'm not as reluctant to do that. And I know, like, listen, let's say it comes back and bites you in the butt and Brooklyn's terrible and it ends up being the number two pick in a loaded draft. That's the chance you take because, but I'm willing to run that risk that, you know, because you, you, you just, you, you got to get known commodities. And if it can help you get the guys that you know are either on that all-star level or were there recently and can help push this team forward, it can help lure another guy down the road you know i i i'm not necessarily opposed to that would you be okay with the lottery pick for carmelo anthony or the lottery pick for marcus soul guys that are making big money are on probably the 11th or 12th hole of their careers but i name those two guys because let's say pending they don't sign kevin durant that's still a big deficiency a wing score big yeah. man let's say they i mean i actually i actually when someone threw marcus soul at me like a month ago, and like, hey, what are your thoughts on Marcus Sloan? I'm like, oh, God, trade ideas. Oh, goodness gracious. <laughs> um, but, you know, think about this. You don't want to pay Marcus Sloan $25 million in, what is it, like 2019? I think he's yep. going to be making like $21 million next year. Marcus Sloan at $21 million next uh, Let's worry about 2019-20 when, you know, if we still right. have a world, civilized world by then. <laughs> but 2017, he's going to be making $20, 21000000 million in 2017, if you can even get them, you're paying Hassan Whiteside, Bismarck Biyombo, Festus Azili, oh, $18 million. No, so think no. about that. Let uh, and, and Again, I know this isn't a free agency show, but let other people pay those guys. Like that, That's my other fear. Is, uh, I hope when, when Danny preaches patience, he, he means that he's not going to overspend for these guys who have hyped themselves up through the course of the playoffs. Let other teams fall for that trap. But, uh, no, I think, you know, for someone, especially like Carmelo, like, especially when, you know, that's such a need for this team, that, that wing scorer, you know, you put him with Isaiah, and, and if you can keep Crowder in that situation, you know, I guess, I guess it goes back to the price tag at that point. So what, let's say it's number three this year. I mean, heck, I'll throw in 16, you know, but then the, you got to start making the salaries match. And so that's where it gets a little dicey, like, Jerebko at five is really valuable, and someone I, I if I'm Danny Ainge, I want to bring back. Boston I know he's can not... absorb the salary, though. Exactly, but the, oh, that's true too. Space. Okay, so that now, that, now, now, I, I always forget that because the cap's going up so much, and they'll be so far under that they can just make that deal. You know what? If if the Knicks were willing, and I think the Knicks would still make you throw in a mirror to just find some salary shed on their own. Um, yeah, I guess. Oh, I guess they. I guess they don't. Like, so the, I, I don't know. I don't know what Phil Jackson. Don't ask me to get in Phil Jackson's head. <laughs> but if they really wanted to hit the reboot and they need picks, and and if they were willing to to do it for the three pick or some combination of the picks this year, yeah, absolutely. Like. And I know some people will be leery about that because you, you worry that you're passing up a guy that could eventually reach a Carmelo stage. But it's going to take time and draft and development. And uh, as much as I'm okay going that route, if you're fully committed to it, you know, if you've got a chance to add the all-star talent, I think you consider it. Like, there's no guarantee that a guy at three is going to turn out to be even what Carmelo is at 31. Real quick with Carmelo before we move back on to Marcus Hall. I think with Carmelo, if there's a way to keep Jay Crowder, Carmelo, when he's played power forward for the Knicks in 2013, this was when small ball was really making its move, 2011, 2012, 2013, that Miami championship team in 2012. Uh, Carmelo and Jay Crowder on the front line. I don't know who your center is going to be. You talk about free agency, though, and waiting and waiting for players. I think that there's tremendous value in having the Celtics in the Eastern Conference Finals every single season or something along those lines because then there's a much better chance of signing a free agent. So, yes, maybe if Carmelo starts fading two, three years from now, maybe even less, like you said, he's 31. I believe he's going to be 32 years old next year. That's going to be an issue, but I think you would have to worry about that more so in 20. 
2019-2020 when that actually does come. I still think I want to see the Celtics make that leap next year. They don't. Yes, would you be kind of selling out in some capacity for basically fielding a 52-win Eastern Conference Finals team that will not beat the Cleveland Cavaliers? Yes, but you make I'll take that, that chance. But you, you, yeah, you, right, yeah, you're a Le- you're a LeBron James kidnapping away from the NBA Finals. I wouldn't even say injury. That's not going to happen. Uh, but I think that there is <laughs> tremendous value in its own right. If you're going to talk about signing a free agent in two, three years from now, this year, whenever, is having the Celtics on national TV as much as possible, and thus that's why I think that they need I, I mean I wouldn't like say oh you've got to go out and get Carmelo Anthony no I would just I'd have to see what Boston gives up I'm sort of with you I think I would sacrifice the three I think I would sacrifice another first round pick that sh- this year I don't think I'd be doing much more after that though besides absorbing his salary giving the Knicks a little bit of a break sure. Marcus Sol I mean I think I kind of feel the same way if Boston's definitely going to need a big man next year to replace Sullinger to also factor in I I think Amir is going to take another slip next year I mean there was a point in this point of the year where he couldn't even play in fourth quarters because he was right. injured and I know he's only what 30 years old 31 years old 20, 29 in and around there 29 but he yeah. really is at the end because he was a high school player he's had plantar fasciitis that's foot, big man foot problems that's not good so, Marcus Sol, I mean, I've talked about him a few times here, but I w- want to give you a little bit of an opinion on that before we transfer things a little here. Yeah, I, I, you know, if you'd asked me two years ago, I'd be throwing the farm at him. I think, you know, maybe it's more the, the Rondo wanted downturn. him a few years ago, went right to Danny Ainge and said, I want you to get Marcus Sol for me. Yeah, you know, and, and, and like, but now, you know, I still think I, I'd, I'd be interested just because of a curiosity of how good a Brad Stevens defensive team could be with Gasol as that backline anchor. And I mean, like he's, he's, he brings exactly what, you know, he's, he's, he's Amir Johnson on steroids, right? Like you get, you still get the rim protection. You still get Amir uh, Johnson those... on American farmers network stake. That's how you say it on this show. <laughs> that's, that, that's a good, that's a good tie. A lot of it. And, uh... <laughs> a lot of it. And, I, I think I think that's like to me is an intriguing team. The same deal, like you know, I don't know if if they'd still have to cure their offensive woes a little bit, but maybe with the rest of your picks and a little bit of development, or you know, with you still have plenty of space to to sort of find a shooter. Uh, I, I I could see a lineup like that being intriguing. You know, and it's the same issue that okay, three years from now it gets a little bit dicier, and you know, the the is he worth the money at the end of that deal? Probably not. But you know, like you said, like. What if they're in the finals, in the Eastern Conference finals, each of the next couple of years, and what does that do for your program overall? You know, the one thing when people start get, getting leery about age, and I know I'm doing it right now, is I, I think back, like, wasn't Garnett 30 or, or 31 when, when they got 31, him? 31, yeah, 31. Yeah, so like... Coming you know, out of high school, too, so he was a 13-year veteran, 13 years in the league, forty playing 40-some minutes. Remember back in the day, the 90s, yeah. there were no minutes restrictions for those guys. <laughs> they were all playing 40. Those days don't or seem long gone, but no, I, I I think you know there is a there is a point where you have to just roll the dice on proven talent, and again, if it, it depends on which route you're committed to. It would be a lot easier to commit to the draft and development route if you knew you were in one, spots one or two this year, and you're not. So maybe maybe you go the opposite way and uh, and make go with a little bit more of a sure thing for the for the immediate future. Before we little pivot a little bit, one word answer: yay or nay? Lottery uh, number three overall selection for Marcus Sol in a package. Sure. Okay. Yay. First, now let's go to that first tear of possibilities. Jimmy Butler, of course, the Mark Stein story Tuesday about Boston possibly being interested. 
DeMarcus Cousins, Kevin Love, of course, that would ha- likely have to be a three-way trade. Or maybe not, actually. Uh, there were some ideas thrown around of Charles Barkley, of all people. Blake Griffin, Jalil Okafor, I guess, is sort of like a 1A tear. But would you have a lottery pick in a trade for all those guys? Is there anyone up there that you're not a fan of? So Okafor still intrigues me. I know defensive shortcomings being what they are. I think there's a, the scenario in my mind would be could you move back from three – and still get him for something in that four to six range. Like, could you flip three to Phoenix so that they get their guy and get something in return from Phoenix and then move the Phoenix pick back to to Philly to get their guy and get Okafor? I'd still consider that. Like, so it's, it's, it's I would, I'm not sure I'd do three for Okafor, but if you can get a little bit more value out of it, um, I, I think I'd do that. Um, you know, and then you talk about all those guys at the top. Absolutely, like I mean, it, it, it's it, to me, it's a no-brainer. They would all, I guess, they would all have to require well more than that number three, as well. Of course, of course. But like, even even if someone called and, and wanted the uh, Ditka for Ricky Williams, the entire draft, like you know, for those kind of caliber talents, you think about it because I think we all know they're not going to make eight picks. They're going to trade probably a good chunk of these, especially the second rounders as people are for the teams that are desperate to, to get into the draft and get a chance. Uh, and that's where you hope the depth of the draft overall kind of drives up the value of those picks. But um, if, if, if there's a chance to have one of these guys and it comes at the cost of a couple first rounders, you know, the way I, I, I always explain it to people and, and when they're like, well, you know, three and 16, that's, that's a lot, you know, well, okay, three, three, I get where, where your mind's at, but like 16 last year was, was Terry Rozier and like Terry Rozier might turn out to be a great pro, but it's going to take some time and it's still going to be a development process. If you're skittish about making a deal because you got to start throwing in 16 and 23, then, you know. It was actually sort of how I felt about throwing in Ryan Gomes in the Kevin Garnett trade. I remember <laughs> I was just like, no, not Ryan. They're going to need him off adamant. the bench. They, they were adamant. There was like, and even when uh, Ryan Gomes eventually, like, a cutter traded again, they're like, maybe they can get him back to Boston. Know, like, yep, people yeah, were right. really worked up about that. But that's the, the part where NBA GMs have to be different than us. And, and I'll, you know, whether it's media or fans or whatever, it's only natural as fans to get attached to guys. But it's like, come on. If these these are the deal breakers, then you just you just can't get hung up on those. Rank these guys in terms of, I don't know, best fit or who, who I think would make the most sense. So just rank them in your own personal order. Butler, Cousins, Love, Griffin, Okafor, as I just said. Uh, so I would do Butler and Cousins 1, 1A, you know, 1A, 1B, whatever you want to call it. I think, you know, each fill is an obvious, like, you know, if we're talking, it's obvious. Swing and, and, and center is where, is where, where, where we're hurting. It, 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 as the Celtics, as we look at the Celtics team. And, uh, and so I, I think, you know, those, those are the obvious fits. Um, you know, from, from, from there, you know, I, I, I guess I even do this when I'm looking at draft, like some redundancy at the power forward spot. I, like, I don't worry about that too much. The rosters change, especially as you make these moves. You can't get too hung up on that. It's more about just getting the talent here. And so, you know, Cousins to me, you know, you hear Rondo talking about it earlier this week about how he loves him. He thinks he's the best big man he's played with. And that's no slight on Garnett or anything. It's just he's like legitimately an excellent big man. And, uh, you know, if, if you could find a way to get those guys here, you do it because you know that they are there's no risk and you, you mitigate that risk and, and, and it just puts you in a good position. I don't know. It, to me, it, it seems like a no brainer. If those guys are available without, you know, the, the opposing GMs getting too crazy and what they want, like if, if it's a lottery pick, if it's two lottery picks, you, you, you consider it. Okay, so give me sort of a deal for Butler and Cousins since they're your 1A. By the way, isn't it amazing how uh, Kevin Love has just really fallen off over the course of the last two years? People would have cut 10 years off their life to get him to Boston. Now it's just (laughs) like – Where do you stand? Kevin Love, I I would think I'd be – oh, I would definitely be willing to take that gamble on him. And basically, I would start him at center. 
I, I think that would be a perfect for, for the Celtics. I think perfect. I think he would be perfect for Brad Stevens to have that. He would be what I don't want to say what we thought David Lee would be, but what we thought David Lee would be on a crap load of American Farmers Network steaks, all that protein. He had, that is exactly I mean, having that big man facilitate things at the top of the post and, of course, making outside shots and gobbling up of his quadrillion rebounds. So Kevin Love, I think, yay on because you could buy very, very low. And what is – is he 29, I believe? Yeah. Uh, next year, 28, 29. Oh, yeah, I guess. He might even be last. Like, yeah, but, some, yeah. Some, somewhere along the last. So if you're going to gamble on anyone, I think that is most certainly going to be the gamble – um, Griffin, I'm actually not high on because I think he could go sort of an Antonio McDice type career. When you start losing athletic, his game is so predicated on he's just more yeah. athletic and just stronger than everyone else. So I would be a little worried about, I mean, I don't want to say he's at the second half of his career yet. He's still what he came in the league t- 2009. He was hurt one year. Um, but Griffin, I don't know. I'd be a little skittish on him. Okafor, I'm not sure how the new NBA really is going to translate for him. I mean, a big man who doesn't play defense, eh. I'd much rather have Nerlens Noel, although, sure. of course, that is not going to be cheap. Atlanta, that the rumor was something, you know, Jeff Teague was attached to him. By the way, real quick on that, you want to play the Jeff Teague type of thing, maybe Atlanta really tries to, I don't want to say blow things up, but re- recalibrates everything. So if they're trading for Nerlens Noel, I don't know what that does with Paul Millsap, because that right, would be right. certainly oh, be a geez, yay for Boston. Yeah. Throw but, the farm. Okay, let's go. But going back to Butler and Cousins, you already got, I, I think, I have actually, have, I don't want to say Kevin Love is my number one, but because wow, we're look at you. ranking it more on value of what you'd have to give up, I think you could get Kevin Love for, I don't want to say a, a, a decent price, but I think... The best bargain if you're going to go bargain shopping, even though he, you know he's not going to be a bargain. If you if you measure everything with price or what do you have to give up and what you're going to get back, but Butler and Cousins, they're your one A one B. Yeah, give definitely. me just sort of a, a very quick hypothetical deal. All the first round picks next year, one more Nets pick, and a player. Yeah, so I, like, if, so I guess in my mind, I'm thinking like if you did three this year, you, you give the Nets unprotected next year because again, I think that one just has such value, and and I just. It, 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 in my mind, like the Nets are still like they should have been better. They should have won more games this year and like pushed that. They pick will be the deeper. worst team in the NBA next year. Mark my words. So you think? So would you part with that pick? I'd be, I'd be a little skittish on it. I would be a little wary about parting the Nets. Even pick if next it gets, even if it gets your your beloved Kevin Love, twenty seven year old Kevin Love, you're not. Oh no, no, I would not do it for Kevin Love. No way. No, I like Kevin Love because I think you could get him for a. I think you could get him of the best deal of all because Pete, this is buy low so and high. You can buy low on Kevin Love right now. I don't, I don't know. I don't know, Matt. Like maybe because the finals are, are, are fresh in our minds, but I, I don't know. I think once give, the, give once the a, actual give me a hypothetical on Butler and Cousins. All right. Uh, so oh, Cousins, let's say the Cousins. I, I think it's going to take either three this year. I think it's going to take the Nets unprotected the next year, and then it's going to take probably established talent. And so you know you're already giving up two what you would consider. Uh, potential starters in this league with three and 16 like you're probably going to need one more um you know I, i'm I, if i'm in the celtics obviously you go back to that. Slash crowder probably right yeah you know i think that's my that's one the one I, that I, I i would throw in there and, and, and i think it's the one i'm most reluctant to do just because then it really hurts you at that swing position and you got a lot of work to do to, to kind of fill that gap so 
Um, you know, but if they ask for Bradley, um, as much as I, I, I think Avery's undervalued by this fan base in, in a way, like, you know, it's a, probably an easier position to, to fill that, that gap. And, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know. So it, 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 at that point, you know, and then it's just filler from there, but you know, if, if that's what they call and they want, and I, I don't know if Sacramento wants to do that at this point, but you know, if, if things continue to be volatile and they realize that, you know, they're not just going to be able to put this thing together while Cousins is still under their control. Then, then maybe they start thinking about it. I do that. And I think it's going to be similar with Chicago because I, I just don't see Chicago being real. Like they send Butler to the draft. He's the sort of the face of their team. Goodman at this threw point. cold water all over that here about a month ago. So I, I, I yeah. I'm with you there. Yeah, so I just, I just think it's like it, it, it it's tough to envision those scenarios. I do think the Celtics can find a package that's probably comparable to whatever the, the Timberwolves could throw out there. But that being said, if the Timberwolves want to really mortgage their their future, they, you know they're a little bit I would say ahead of the Celtics in their draft and development in terms of their youngsters. At least their guys have a higher ceiling. And I don't know if you necessarily want to bust that up just to get you know that one guy in place. And but. Um, you know, you certainly think about it, and the fact that that the Minnesotas of the world are are, are willing to think about it, then it, it certainly shows that the Celtics should be too. It's almost impossible to scrunch this into a half a segment on one show, and I do have to get to Nicole here. But really quick, Chris, to get you out of here, give me a lesser target. Throw a name at me, maybe a backup wing, defensive center. I know those guys don't come cheap. Remember the Cavs had to trade two first round picks for Timmy Mozgov, but throw a little sleeper name at me. You know, I, I go back to, and I think someone did mention this, but, you know, Denver, what's going on with Denver? Like, what are they doing? And so whether it's Gallinari or the younger guys, Nurkic, Jokic, like if one of those guys could be had at a reasonable deal, those are the guys I want to target. Because Gallinari can obviously, you know, we've talked about that a hundred times. It's the shooting, the spread the floor, and perfect fit for, for this, this system. Uh, and those young bigs, they just intrigue me. Like, I, I think there's a potential there, low money deals. You know, again, I don't. That's going to probably drive their costs up. But uh, the, uh, if Denver can't figure itself out and, and has no direction, then, then maybe they'd be willing to. That's maybe that. I just feel like that's maybe a likely situation, and maybe that you can find something in there. ESPN's Chris Forsberg can follow Chris on Twitter at Forsberg ESPN. We'll be back here on Celtics Beat with Nicole Arbach. Stay with us. Hey, this is Larry H. Russell here, critically acclaimed author and host of Celtics Beat. And I'm privileged to be joined by Daryl Conant, former U.S. Olympic Committee strength coach and one of the leading strength and condition specialists in America. Daryl, thanks so much for being here. It's great to be here, Larry. Thank you. Daryl, you're a student of the legendary bodybuilder Vince Gironda. Tell me a bit more about Vince. Vince Gironda was considered the pioneer of pure natural bodybuilding. His training methods and nutritional concepts are still being incorporated in many gyms throughout the world today, and I had the privilege myself of having him as my mentor. How can we learn more about the methods of the Iron Guru? As a student of Vince Gironda, I always wanted to give back to Vince in some way. I wrote a book entitled Invincible that depicts many of Vince's programs and nutritional theories that he taught me. For more information on this book, folks can visit my website at www.darylconnor.com. Daryl, Vince had so many methods and ideas for achieving optimal health. Care to share any while we're here? One of Vince's most popular nutritional concepts was his recommendation of eating organic, grass-fed beef to build muscle. Organic red meat is loaded with nutrients necessary for building quality muscle. As Vince would always say to me, you must eat the type of food that the muscle is made out of, red meat. Get on that path of effortless fat loss and optimal health by following the appropriate nutritional methods. And get it from the country's leading organic meat brand, American Farmers Network at AmericanFarmersNetwork.com.
Back here on Celtics Beat, and it is finally time to get around to previewing the draft. Not like the Celts have eight selections or anything, three in the first round, the third overall. We did so a little bit with Jeff Goodman a month ago following the lottery. But let this be the time with the draft on Thursday. For this space, we'll talk about some of these incoming professionals with someone who's as familiar with these players as any. Today's featured guest, Nicole Auerbach. Nicole is a recipient of numerous journalistic awards. She is the NCAA college basketball reporter for USA Today. And she's here to provide us her insight on many of these incoming draftees. So, Nicole, welcome on in, and thank you so much for lending us your time here this morning. Yeah, no problem. And honestly, this pre-draft process, it feels like it's been ages since the end of college basketball season, and we still don't have these guys drafted. It's a little crazy. Early April, of course, the NBA season seemingly goes on forever. Yes. Um, First time, though, you've been on with us. So very fortunate on your end because of my college basketball ignorance is likely going to prevent me from doing to you what I do to all of our guests. That's interrupt them. So you're not going to get that. Very fortunate because, I, like I said, I'm just brain dead on this. So I'd like to actually start off at the top of the draft board. Higher than even the Celts, presumably number one will almost surely be Ben Simmons. It's kind of tough for me to phrase a question any differently, and I'm sure you've gotten this one a lot, Nicole, as you've made the rounds over the last month or so. But in your eyes, is he this transcendent franchise-changing figure which many thought he'd be last October? Yeah, you know, I, I think that I have always been a little bit higher on Ben Simmons than most, even throughout a year that was certainly disappointing at LSU. Um, and, and he was... Disappointing at times, but his, the team, the team and not making the NCAA tournament, there, there were broader issues there than just Ben Simmons. So, you know, I spent some time with him and his family about a week before he went to LSU last summer when they were still in Orlando. And, you know, I just loved that this, this, his background and his mix. I mean, his mom is Australian. His dad, um, is from the Bronx, but spent, you know, obviously most of his adult life in the, in Australia. He's got this really strong family background. All of his siblings are, uh, well, not all of them. Most of them are older. He, he seemed very mature for his age entering college. And I love that his background with the Australian basketball was very team-oriented, um, role-oriented. This is why he's such an incredible passer, um, because it's very pass-first. And that's something that, you know, we saw him struggle with even still at LSU a little bit. And in the AAU world um, and, and in high school, once he got over to the U.S., is that, you know, that whole killer instinct, that whole, um, you know, I've got to take over this game and be selfish, um, you know, it does not come supernaturally to him. And I think that that's something that people point to as, um, you know, when they criticize his certain um, shots that he doesn't make or, you know, when if you watched sort of the end of last season with LSU, you saw that a bit. Um, and like I said, I think we're going to get to it. There's there's some issues with, um, with LSU that are a little bit different. Um, but, you know, I really like him. I think he is very versatile. Um, I think he's really skilled. I mean, this is sort of similar to, you know, when we had conversations about Okafor and Towns, you know, one of the reasons, obviously, both are terrific, but in Carl Towns has really, really blossomed. But I, you know, Okafor was, was more skilled coming into college. There's, there's just this basketball, um, toolbox that they can pull from. And I think Ben Simmons has that. Um, and, and I think that, you know, there was a reason I was at the lottery as well. There's a reason that, that as soon as the top two teams knew that they were going to be the top two, they were celebrating because Brandon Ingram is also terrific. Um, and there appears to be a drop-off after that. 
But, you know, I just, I really like Ben Simmons. And I think that if you surround him with the right kind of players and the right coaching, um, he could really, really blossom into a, into that kind of player that can really be a franchise player. That doesn't really truly sound like a franchise guy, though, whenever you fill out a sentence with, oh, if you can surround him with the right, right pieces. I mean, of course. Well, you know, my issue is, is more like, you know, the Philly has, has gotten, really talented guys over the last few years. But, you know, you need those couple of veteran guys. You need guys to teach them how to be pros. I mean, you're taking a lot oh, of like guys. Like Jared who, Dudley. Well, you, you you are taking guys who are, you know, 18, 19 years old. That, you know, this, this whole one-and-done thing. You know, these guys are pretty young, and they, they need to, you know, I've, I've been shocked by some of the Okafor headlines, let's just say, over the last year. Because, again, I just think – all of these guys, you know, it depends so much on who you get drafted by and who's on that team and roster. And, you know, that's that's all I'm saying. I mean, I think Simmons has all of that, but I just think if any of these top guys, um, you know, you do need a little guidance around you. Is that your theory as to why it's been so much harder to predict players, call it collegiates or even foreigners, uh, translating their career into the NBA ranks? Because 15, 20, 25, 30 years ago, there were a lot of surefire locks at the top of the draft, and it was few and far between in terms of selecting a franchise player after number three overall back in the day. I mean, the only time it would happen would be just sort of like like Larry Bird, quote-unquote, slipping a six was because teams didn't want to have to wait a year to get him. Mm-hmm. Kobe Bryant, they were concerned still about the high school thing. That was just a year after Kevin Garnett. No one really – the high schoolers were still a little bit unknown then. But – up until the turn of the century, the new millennium, franchise guys seemed to come along at the top of the draft, and they were surefire locks, Ewing, David Robinson, Tim Duncan, you know, Olajuwon. I mean, we can go on forever, Magic Johnson. Yeah. Why do you think that just seems not seem to be the case as it is anymore? It's, much, it's harder and harder to really select correctly. Seth Curry falls to eight, Kawhi Leonard 14, Paul George 10. Is that your theory, the whole one-and-done thing, and as to why it's – a lot harder to pinpoint who's going to make it and who won't in the NBA. Well, I think that I think it's twofold actually, um, and I haven't given a ton of thought to it. Um, but I think the one and done is part of it because a lot of those guys are the guys who are at the top of the draft, and just their body of work is so small. Um, you know, sometimes these guys are injured. Nerlens Noel fell because he was injured. Um, you know, certain guys. I mean, honestly, it depends on, you know, they're still adjusting to a different level of competition because they're coming from high school or AAU. Um, and then, you know, sometimes they're not the marquee guy on the team, although nowadays you kind of have to be. Um, you know, there's just there's just a lot of different factors, the level of coaching you're going to get, development, where your body is. Um, you know, I mean, Brandon Ingram, you know, you see a lot of... You like, mentioned freak- his name there. <laughs> yeah, freakish athleticism. Um, but obviously like needs to fill out and, and fill into his body. And so you're getting guys and you're seeing in everyone's favorite word potential. Um, but you're not, there's not that track record. Um, which is why, you know, when you, when you have a four year or three year guy and you have like a full body of work to look at, you really, A, you're getting a more mature player on and off the court, but B, you know more what you're getting and you've maybe seen development. I mean, one of my favorite storylines of this last season was, um, you know, Buddy Heald and Denzel Valentine going head to head for player of the year all season because both of them just got a little bit better, a little bit better, a little bit better each year. Um, and then had these incredible senior seasons. And that's the kind of thing, like, especially in Denzel Valentine's case, um, you know, he, 
Tom Izzo would admit, like, he did not think he was going to be a player of the year type player. Um, you know, you, these are the things that you can see as, you know, front office folks in the NBA. You see the growth. You see the different things people are adding to the game. When you only have a six-month sample on a freshman, you know, there's just a lot more uncertainty. You're, you're, you're basing it off of raw talent or um, the current skill set or, again, the potential. And so I think that's one part of it. I think the other part is that the evaluation system has kind of gone crazy. I mean, these guys, uh, you know, I'm thinking like Andrew Wiggins, all these guys, you know, they're from an age like 13 or whatever. They're the next LeBron. And then you have the recruiting world is just insane. Um, recruiting services and the amount of people who cover these kids when they're, when they're in high school is crazy, but they're all evaluating and being evaluated off of AAU tournaments. Um, and, and, and those are a weird system in general because there's a lot of players there who, you know, can be super dominant in one game and then all of a sudden they skyrocket on these recruiting rankings. And maybe, you know, that is a glimpse of what they have, but maybe that was, that was, you know, an outlier and they're really not the, you know, 12th best player in the class. I think so there's a lot of, um, you know, the, the recruiting evaluation is never an exact science. And I think, you know, but I've talked to so many coaches, college coaches about this too. I mean, it's really hard. And for them, their key is just, they have to just get to know the player and the people around him as well as possible because recruiting, you know, experts, quote unquote, media, all of that, it, it's very, it's a hard thing to evaluate. And, and you sort of hear every other year that, you know, here's the next LeBron. And, you know, it's, it's, it almost being cyclical lately where it's like there's one really good – like next year's class is supposed to be phenomenal. Um, and and two years ago that class was really, really, really strong. Um, but then you have like drafts like the Anthony Bennett draft or you have this draft where outside of the top two, people are like it's kind of – you know you don't know exactly what you're going to get and, and maybe it's not as strong a draft. And so it's just sort of this weird – like people are – maybe misevaluating or hyping up people who maybe aren't as good as they're supposed to be. And then maybe those guys are the ones who go to the declare for the draft and maybe aren't ready or you're undervaluating some guys. And then that's how there's, you know, like uh, Kawhi Leonard who had a great college career, but like, you know, I mean, I don't know if anyone would have expected he, to him to be the pro he is, but maybe that's because of how long he's in college and the way that people evaluate. So I, I think there's like a twofold reason that people, are not able to for sure pick locks anymore because it's a shorter body of work. And I think that the way that people are evaluated from a young age kind of fluctuates and it's, it's very hit or miss. And so I'm not surprised all the time when people are kind of off, you know, because they're too high on someone or too low on someone and someone sneaks through anymore. So I got to get to the Celtics uh, for the sake of the audience. You seem not to be a little too high on the draft. You uh, sort of towing the same line that a lot of people are saying two-person draft, and then after that, it's sort of an unsure thing. I was maybe sort of a two-fold question. I can get into this a little later. I was going to ask if there were any other players that you like, but I had Jeff Goodman on here a month ago, and we were talking about what the Celtics would do at three after presumably the top two. Seemingly, that would fall in line. And I actually said, I mean, you know, what are the Celtics going to do? I think a better question for me to ask you is who's, in your eyes, the next best player in this draft? Jeff mentioned Chris Dunn. However, unfortunately, we really can't talk about him on this show because he's not giving Boston his medical records because he really doesn't want to play here because the team is a little too guard heavy. <laughs> so, in your, your, actually, you know what? Better. Nicole Auerbach's top five big board. Lay it on the line. 
Okay. Well, you know, we will preface this by saying I do not follow the international prospects, um, and I don't cover the draft. Out of there. I agree. Okay. Yeah, I agree. Um, Out of there. So. You know, outside of needs and, and things like that, I mean, you know, Chris Dunn would be high on the list um, in general for anyone. Yeah, just your um, five big board. Your okay. two guys. Um, yeah, I mean, I would put Chris Dunn up there. Um, I think he's terrific. I mean, you're going to see, like, my list is going to be senior heavy because of kind of the reasons I was just saying. Like, I think you have a strong track record. Um And, you know, I've watched these guys grow and develop and, you know, X, Y, and Z. Over the last four years, so Chris Dunn, um, you know, Buddy Heald's terrific, terrific shooter. Um, I've seen him make shots that I did not know were possible. Um, and and Denzel Valentine, I really like. I think he's he's kind of low. Um, I kind of made this like a little bit. Also, you were asking, you would ask for some sleepers. Um, so it's kind of a combination because I think that some of these guys are a little lower than um, that. I think that their careers will be. I mean, I think Valentine turned out to be incredibly versatile. Um, and he made his entire, you know, we, so we, we gave him, he was the USA today player of the year over buddy healed, which was a really, really difficult, uh, choice. And we gave it to him because he made everyone on the team. everyone on the floor better when he was in, I, I can't remember the number Sounds anymore, like but Draymond Green's Michigan state career. Yeah. You know, Tom is, knows how to get these guys to do that. And, but I mean, the, um, you know, just, I forget how many, you know, that team had a ton of assists. Um, like almost, they had an incredible percentage of their made baskets were assisted. And, and the numbers were like off the charts when Denzel was on the court. And it was just, um, you know, I mean, I, I felt so horrible for him personally when they lost in the NCAA tournament to, you know, a 15 seed in the first weekend. Um, because, you know, he's one of those guys that Izzo does compare to a Draymond Green in terms of growth and kind of self-starting growth, you know, like the things that he knew he needed to work on each year. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I actually, you know, I've talked to him, Denzel, about this. He thinks that Draymond's success in the NBA will help teams give him a shot, give him a look, give him the benefit of the doubt, um, you know, especially. And, and I think other guys who are maybe – Draymond's size, who can kind of play different positions. I, you know, I think that that's something that maybe we will see that, you know, maybe guys will take a chance on someone who can kind of fit that role on a different team. Um, I would also put, um, Doma Sabonis, Sabonis, um, in this list. Um, I think he had a great, great year. So again, okay, here's another reason why some guys, you know, obviously GMs and, and draft experts keep up with guys, but sometimes West Coast guys or guys like, um, Sabonis, who played at Gonzaga, who, you know, in the regular season, they don't, or in their conference season, you know, they're not playing the best competition. So there's, there's a gap where people aren't really watching them. Um, but he was great. Obviously, he's got incredibly great genes. Um, but he really impacted games and kind of they could flow through him a lot. Um, so I'm a big fan of him. Um, DeAndre Bembry at St. Joe's, also just this kind of impact guy. Um, and he flew under the radar as well. Um, you know, again, if you, the longer you stay in college, sometimes the longer, the more you're under the radar or falling on a draft board because you're older, whatever it is. Um, you know, these guys are guys that I think have really diversified their game and grown. Um, they're mature and I think they understand whatever role they'd be put in in the NBA. Um, I'm just really, I'm just really high on them. I think that guys who, have had a longer college experience are maybe more like NBA ready right off the bat. Um, and I think that all those guys, you know, have, have people on their, 
in their corner who, you know, can connect them. If, if they, you know, obviously Sabonis has direct NBA connections, but, you know, if they don't know guys, they, they've been connected with them. And, and obviously Denzel and Draymond are close. Um, I just think these guys are mentally prepared, but also they have these track records um, that just show that they're able to adapt to whatever different role they're going to have in, in the NBA. So I like all those guys. I know they're kind of scattered throughout the first round in mock drafts. Although, you know, it's interesting. Mock Perfect drafts. Are that you of, mentioned them. Sellers all, have picks all, all, for the audience. Sellers have picks all over the damn first round. So it's perfect well, that you mentioned Sabonis' name, especially yeah. him. Go ahead. Sorry. Well, it, you know, it, people. no, it's fine. It's, it's kind of amazing. I've been, you know, just sort of casually checking mock drafts and everyone's are so different. They're like all over the map now because nobody really knows outside of those top two picks how teams are going to go. Happy you did mention Sabonis' name, though, because like I said, I knew if I didn't talk about him, which he was, I was never really planning to do, I would have heard about it on Twitter later in the week had I not done. But I want to go all the way back now to the top of your draft board. Yes. I really only have one favorite in this draft because, like I said, I am very ignorant to college basketball. So I saw one game. It was Buddy Heald's Elite Eight game. So, of course, I now think that Buddy Heald is <laughs> going to have a phenomenal career. And then there was a report by Jeff Goodman earlier in the week. And sorry for mentioning Jeff Goodman's name so much because he's really the only college basketball draft expert who appears on the show. And he may or may not be direct competition to you. Uh, but he was very high on him because... Quite frankly, he improved so much throughout his college career, and of course, he is very, very good. Is that really what you can make of him? Is that a good sign for him going into the NBA is how much he's improved over the course of four years? I've always looked at that as a very good thing because that shows me that that is a player who is willing to put in the time and effort off, well, not off the court, but off the actual playing surface. Uh, to get better because a lot of players, a lot of younger college players that are very tough to evaluate, they seem to ride their athleticism, their God-given ability or biological abilities, whatever you want to call it without being all politically correct or not. Uh, is that a very good sign for Buddy Heald going into the NBA in the fact that he became such a good shooter? And last Tuesday, there was a report that came out that he made 85, 100 three-pointers. This, is, of course, is following Jamal Murray making 79 of 100 with the Celtics out in California. I was going to say, I mean, of course, it's a good sign, but it's more of me of asking you, Nicole, maybe some let it let on the line for Buddy Heald. Yeah, no, I mean, Buddy Heald's terrific. Um, and he, at least, you know, it was funny. Um, the only game that was really out of character for him was the Final, Final Four, Four game when they got blitzed by Villanova. Um, so basically any, I mean, he was must-see TV. I mean, you know, as someone whose job is to watch college basketball, you didn't want to miss when he was playing, you know, you know, big Mondays or whatever, because, you know, he, he had 46 points in a triple overtime game. I mean, he can hit from anywhere on the court. It felt like, and, you know, it was just kind of almost a nightly basis where, you know, Twitter, Twitter feed would just be like, buddy. Um, and, and he just made himself into a shooter that, was the best shooter in the game. And every coach I talked to throughout the season was so impressed by how, you know, he was a very good player as a junior. Um, but to see the level of growth between that, you know, Long Kruger, his coach, used to say, you know, he was 
um, you know, like the best player in the Big 12 the year before, whatever, and then probably the most improved player in the Big 12. And that's insane because, you know, that means that there's not that much to improve, but he found it and did it. And, you know, he's got great stories about, you know, just how many shots he takes a day and how early he is in, in the gym and on game days and all of this. Um, he's a really, really likable guy. I mean, I'm sure he's just, you know, blowing people away in interviews because, you know, he's always got the smile on his face. You know, Oklahoma does something that's kind of funny um, and rare for college basketball. They uh, open every practice, like every practice all year. So I was over there the day before they were going to play Kansas in the rematch of the triple overtime game. And I'm kind of shocked to see this. I mean, there's like tons of people. It's right before Valentine's Day. There's like an entire sorority. Um, and so after the practice ends, you know, guys are just shooting around, shooting around with the ESPN game day guys. And then there's like just this, there's a bunch of kids on the court. There's all these sorority girls. Everyone's just kind of waiting for autographs. And, you know, and then so Buddy finishes his little shootout thing. And then he goes and signs autographs and just hangs out on the court for like, you know, an extra, I'd say half hour for just no reason. And, but this happens all the time in Oklahoma. They're just so, you know, these guys who are larger than life. I mean, Buddy was kind of being the, you know, college basketball Steph Curry all season and, and, you know, getting labeled that and getting called that, um, you know, colloquially. And, and here he is just kind of this very down to earth, um, guy. So he was just an incredibly likable guy to root for. But everyone, all these coaches throughout college basketball just loved kind of pointing to how he improved off of like an already really good product. And, and Denzel Valentine had, I think, more room to grow from his freshman year to senior year. But he did the same thing. I mean, his older brother, Drew, was a GA for, for Tom Izzo. Now he's an assistant at Oakland University where he went. But they would go to the gym all the time um, when they didn't have to. And Drew and, and Denzel would work on all of these drills that NBA players were doing and that um, you know, Steph Curry was doing for ball handling or this and that. And he just you know worked his way better and better um, throughout his career too. And so I'm with you. I mean, you know, as much as guys love to draft on potential and just pure athleticism, I like, I like these guys that literally can point to each and every way that they improved every off season. Um, you know, and particularly from a junior to senior year where, you know, both those guys and a lot of these seniors, you know, got draft, got feedback from NBA folks last year. So they like took that to heart and they focused on exactly the things that they were told to focus on. And I think all of that just shows um, that you're, like you said, that you're going to put in the work, you're going to, you know, you're going to work with, you know, the coaches or whatever, you're going to develop your game into whatever it needs to be. And and so I, I could not be higher on both those guys. They were amazing to cover. Um, and it was just really fun to watch. Like you, like I was saying with Buddy, I mean, he was must-see TV because he had reached a certain level that he was nowhere near the year before, and he was already a really good player the year before. So it was really special to watch, you know, someone take that step. Um, and, and like I said, that's something you don't see with freshmen because obviously you're only getting them for six months. And then sometimes you see that that those steps and that development happen in the NBA. But, you know, with some of these older guys in college, we actually get to watch it, you know, before they get pro. Heald seems like the surefire guy of everybody at the top of the draft just because of the skills that he has and where the NBA is going. It's going to yes. translate directly into the NBA. Yes. little fun because you know you're, you're pretty high on Heald. It seems like you're very high on Denzel Valentine. Even though as of now, Denzel Valentine is pretty low on these draft boards, which I guess Celtic-centric so is a good thing for fans listening. little over-under game. Over-under 
two and a half all-star games for Buddy Heald over under nine and a half years in the NBA for Denzel Valentine? Mm. Um, I will say over for Buddy. Um, hmm. It's hard to predict. You know, we're I talking mean, about like where the pretend he stays healthy. There's no he doesn't get his leg amputated. Yeah, but that's uh, a long career. It's yeah. a long career. Um, you know, and it's hard to project. Like you know, the, the game is changing so rapidly. Um, you know, as high as I am on him, I'm going to go under. That's a long career. But I, you know, I I don't know. I mean, I like my college guys. I know the problem is that you know there's a lot of you know foreign guys. There's a lot of guys, you know teams that are going to draft based on need. Um, but I don't know. I mean, these guys were, these guys are, have shown that they're able to adapt. Like I, I could see Denzel finding a role on, on a team somewhere for a long time and, you know, but nine years, that's a long, you know, that's a lengthy career. And who knows? I mean, are we going to have a four point line by then, you know, like, I don't know, you know, no, the game don't, is. Don't get into that. Don't get into that. <laughs> and that will work out very well for buddy. I, 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 not to get this thing off track, I do hope they push the three-point line back. They tried doing it, I believe, in the mid-90s. Didn't really work out then, but I believe it's time. I have to get to this. I can't believe how quick this interview is going. Uh, but we do have to start wrapping things up. Uh, but Marquise Chris and Jalen Brown, how much did you watch them? There's a lot of talk about them because they seem to be good fits with the Celtics in terms of being able to add athleticism to this to this team. But basically, they're two West Coast guys, I'm going to say. Nicole, how much did you watch of them? And uh, after that, have your pick of the line between the two of them. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, not a ton. Um, it is East Coast, Coast bias. Yeah, yeah, East Coast, Coast bias guys. is a real thing, and it's, and it's really hard. Um, you know, I cover college football, too, and that's a little bit easier because it's only – you know, one or two nights a week that you have to, you know, you know, you're like, all right, well, I'm totally going to stay up for the late games, but college basketball is every night. And, um, you know, certain teams and certain players end up falling through the cracks. Um, so I watched Washington a bit early. I watched Cal throughout the year. I err on Jalen. Um, but I think, you know, for, for what the Celtics need, I think both of them are, you know, prime, targets for that um you know Jalen Brown came into college with a ton of uh hoopla and you know and energy and talk and excitement um you know and he had a really strong year although Cal Cal had some you know kind of issues towards the end of the season um that affected the way you know they went out in the NCAA tournament but but you know they're both they're both talented players I wish I had seen them more um especially Marquise Chris but you know it's uh basically I guess I'm just going with Jalen Brown because I've seen him play more I had to get to that because in the years I've been following the Celtics and Danny Ainge, he seems to be enamored by these draft workout warriors. That's why I asked Jeff in this space a month ago, which which guy could he see be the next Aaron Gordon that would rocket up the draft charge in workouts? And sure enough, he gave me Marquise Chris' name. And this is relevant because in workouts, I mean, be it with Amari Stoudemire when Danny was kind of consulting the Suns back in the early 2000s. Aaron Gordon, a few years ago, he was on that. And sure enough, then he goes four. Um mm-hmm. Nicole Auerbach, USA Today. You can follow Nicole on Twitter, at Nicole Auerbach. Shame on anyone here who would need help having to spell out that last name. Nicole, thanks for the go-around here on Celtics Beat. Thanks for having me. As the leading online provider of audio-video coverage of the Boston Celtics, CLNS Radio will provide the most comprehensive coverage of the Celtics in the 2016 NBA Draft anywhere on the World Wide Web. With the draft set to take place this coming Thursday, CLNS will release fresh podcasts daily in the lead-up to Thursday. Starting with Monday's edition of Celtic Stuff Live, hosted by the original Celtics podcasters and draft savants alike, John Duke and Justin Poulin. 
Download the free CLNS Radio mobile app for your iPhone or Android now to get instant and convenient access. And it all begins there. On draft night, CLNS will run pre, post, and live coverage on its various outlets. The Guard Report, hosted by Jared Weiss, Jimmy Toscano, and Kevin O'Connor, will be released on the CLNS Radio YouTube page to go along with reactions from Danny Ainge and other team executives. Subscribe now to the CLNS Radio YouTube channel at youtube.com slash CLNS Radio. That's youtube.com slash CLNS Radio. And that's not all. Jimmy and Jared will take your questions live on the CLNS Radio Facebook page. So stay with us, CLNS Radio, at www.clnsradio.com, the leading online provider of audio-video coverage of the Boston Celtics. And that's how we're going to have to finish this one, folks. Great stuff from Nicole, but there's no time to react. We have reached the time limit, so big ups to USLA for allowing us to steal Nicole and providing the audience a good look at these collegiates. But this is our outro. Don't even have time to do it the real way this week. We're going to bang, bang it. Music credits, Will Rock, Chuck Dietz, and Joshua Morris. Staff writer, Eddie Santiago. The founder of the network, Nick Gelso. You know who I am. See you next Sunday for 163. Enjoy Thursday night, everyone.